leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty alongside Anthony Brown. I am Garrett Bouguet. Thank you so much for joining us. And on this episode, Anthony and I will be uh, breaking down at least uh, the lottery portion of the uh, most recent NBA draft, the 2018 NBA draft. And uh, Anthony, starting off with the number one pick, of course, the Phoenix Suns selected DeAndre Ayton, a 7-1 mammoth center from the University of Arizona, so a local kid. Uh, Mm -hmm. What do you think about the prospect that is DeAndre Ayton? I do like that story from... Arizona and everything going to Phoenix. I think that's great. Uh, really big guy down uh-huh. low. I mean, I grew up watching Shaq down in the post, so I really like the idea of a big low post scorer. He's really athletic, too. He can run the floor. Yes. Um, can definitely see him as a guy in the pick and roll or on fast breaks, you know, throwing that lob to him. Um, just on the offensive side, I think he's got a great upside as a center. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, as a rebounder as well, I think sure. he's going to be a monster. You know, he's he's got the uh, uh, he's got good instincts for uh, especially on the boards. You know, the ability to tip the ball to himself, uh, really impressive. And again, with that size and that physicality, not only the height and the length, but that uh, you know he's got a man's body <laughs> right away. Right, uh, he can kind of bully guys a little bit inside. Uh, so you know, I see him being a guy that can can average almost 10 rebounds straight away. Wow. Uh, and uh, the the question, though, would be, uh, you know, there, there are a couple question marks, one being the defense and the other being how good can he get offensively? What do you think in terms of his ceiling as an offensive player? Uh, it's tough. In, I mean, in this era, we don't really, you know, we space the floor so much. Uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of teams, even when you've got like a Carl Anthony Towns, they're not looking to post them up on every play, mm-hmm. right? That's just the era we're in. It's so. probably, you know, it, it's frustrating that they don't post them up more. Exactly, times. exactly. So I don't know if that'll be the situation in uh, Phoenix, you know, that they'll be looking at more perimeter stuff. But uh, I think anytime you got a guy that size, there's that potential to uh, to be a dominant low post guy. And he's a guy who faces up in the, the post too, and he's got right. a good jump shot, so he can spread the floor too. Um I, it might just depend on how good his shot turns out to be and develops. Mm-hmm. Um, on the defensive end, I, that might just be more of a uh, an effort thing, you know? So I don't know if that's something you can really develop or if that's just a defensive instinct, you know, in yeah. your basketball DNA, whether he can work that hard on the defensive end. But um, that size is definitely something people are going to think twice about going to the basket if he's willing to 
to step up. What do you think, though? Yeah, I mean, it, that's what's one of the real interesting things about the NBA draft is, yeah, what are the skills that can be improved? What are the ones that, you know, you you can't, you can't teach a guy to be 7'1", 260 pounds. <laughs> exactly. So he's got a lot of those, and you can't teach the athleticism and the fluidity at that size. So right. he's got some things that you can't teach. But then can you teach the defensive awareness? And as you said, can you teach that hustle? You know, I've heard a lot of scouts over the years say, and I remember when Tristan Thompson was drafted and he went higher than most people thought at number four mm -hmm. uh, in that draft, uh, you know, people said that hustle was a skill, you know, mm -hmm. and not everyone necessarily has that. It's about effort and motor. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he develops that, uh, you know, that consistent effort. Uh, he also, an interesting thing, uh, you know, given his situation in college, he played close to 37 minutes a game. Uh, so mm. uh, that could be a reason why at times you on a lot of the footage you see maybe some lack of effort plays as he could be just a little bit tired. That makes sense. You know, like <laughs> if, if uh, in the NBA you've got not only longer games but more time where he can rest uh, right. and still play 32 to 34 minutes, maybe that effort will improve. Um, but the defensive awareness is certainly, um, you know, something that uh, is questionable. And in the in today's day and age, as far as those teams that are competing for titles, how many of them can can compete and win championships with a center that isn't great defensively? It's tough. Yeah, <laughs> it's really tough. Uh, I mean, specifically with being able to handle like the pick and roll, right? If you're going to play against the Warriors or the Rockets or whoever, you're gonna be able you're gonna have to be able to defend some of these elite perimeter uh offensive players and point guards like a james harden or like a steph curry or they're just gonna pick you apart right so if i, I don't know the first year if he's gonna be able to do that or not but if he can develop that um i i think he's gonna be great if We'll see, you know. Well, and he's got the, you know, he's got the measurables similar to like a Joel Embiid, right? Uh, but Embiid's awareness on defense is is so great, um, right? You know that that is a question uh, with him. A lot of times, you see a lot of highlights as we're watching him in the background as we talk about these prospects. Um, you know, you see a lot of plays where guys are driving on the opposite side of the floor. He's in position to help and potentially make a block, but just kind of stands there and watches. Right. Uh, and and those are the kind of instincts and awareness that you help that you hope maybe with experience he can improve. Hopefully, yeah, yeah we'll see. But uh, and you know the other thing you know talking about that offensive uh, upside. The the thing that I think is an interesting comparison is Demarcus Cousins. Now Cousins has become one of the best offensive centers in the league, uh, but uh, the the thing that I think frustrates a lot of people about Cousins is that he tends to rely on the jump shot and the face-up game a little bit too much, given mm. his size and strength and his ability to just bully guys. And right. that's something that you could see maybe from Aiton as well is, you know, does he like to turn and face and shoot that jumper a little too much, even though it's an effective shot, he's got good form and all of that, but you also don't want to see him passing up opportunities to get inside and dunk. Because yeah. as Shaq showed with right. uh, you know a dominant size, big body center, uh, and that that could be one of the underrated parts about Shaq is you know people say well that was his weakness was the lack of shot, but that may have helped contribute to his strengths right. because without a shot to rely on, he just went at the defense over and over inside. Yeah, uh, and I'm a little more old school than most, maybe, that I, I tend to agree with Charles and Shaq when they're 
criticizing some of these younger guys for not going inside and just dominating. Uh, I think if you've got an elite either physical package or elite skill set, you should use it every time until they can stop it. Have some counters off of it, but I think, yes, it's it's uh, Shaq relied on it a lot with his size and strength, but no one could stop it. Right. I think some of these, uh, like a Wilt Chamberlain, maybe one of his biggest flaws as a, a center, and he's one of the best players of all time in my top uh, you know, 10 of all time, but if he would have just dunked on people every single time... We would be talking about him with maybe passing Kareem's all-time, you know, scoring effort and everything. So with this new guy, if he, uh, with DeAndre Ayton, if he can maybe do what we're talking about and as opposed to Cousins facing up all the time, if he can just use that strength and punish guys down low, I think it opens up areas of your game um, that could help out Phoenix. So. Right. Now, you know, you look at the the upside and in terms of his ceiling, I think, the best version of DeAndre Ayton, if Phoenix is hoping that he's worthy of a number one pick, is a guy that could put up 25 points and 15 boards right. and become, you know, not a great defensive center, but at least maybe slightly above average. If he becomes a dominant offensive player, dominant rebounder, and, you know, capable defensively, that's that's a great piece. Oh, yeah. No, I, I like that pick. The, uh, you know, the I guess the, the downside, though, would be a guy that maybe is more in the 15 points, 10 rebounds, and never develops that defense and is always kind of just a guy that has all these defensive tools, maybe has a highlight play here or there, but doesn't actually impact winning. Yeah, and that's, like you said, that's the tough part about the draft, knowing what their potential is going to be. So, Well, in this year's draft, I think one of the interesting things is that all of these guys seem to have some pretty glaring holes in their game as well. Right. It's just a matter of finding out which holes are are going to be overcome and which aren't. Yeah. Uh, but there's no there's no Tim Duncan, there was no <laughs> LeBron, there's right. no Shaq in this draft, uh, and so that makes it even more of a of a crapshoot. Yeah, I agree. So the number two selection in the draft, uh, of course, Marvin Bagley, uh, the power forward uh, from Duke, and he was drafted by the Sacramento Kings. Now, what are, what are your thoughts, just in general, about uh, about the young big man? I like how athletic he is and how he can run the floor. Um, I like his shot form too, but um, rebounding, I, I like his motor down there. He seems to put in a lot of effort. Um, and I was a player who, you know, really worked hard on the offensive boards. I think when you're a big guy, it helps your team a lot if you're going to be putting that effort down there. Um, what are your thoughts on him, though? Yeah, he's uh, he's a guy that I think um, I had a little bit lower on my draft board in terms of he was not even in my top five, but he went okay. two. Uh, and I think one of the reasons Sacramento actually drafted him was because he was one of the only prospects you know near the top of the draft that actually went and worked out for them. Oh, wow. Uh, a lot of the guys just didn't want any part of it, uh, <laughs> in large part because Sacramento has been a dysfunctional organization for over a decade. Uh, so, uh, that could go into it, but, you know, if you're an NBA team and say the top guy on your board does not come and work out for you, would that scare you off? Or would you just say, I'm going to draft him anyway, and he's got to come. Yeah. I mean, if they're, if they're high enough and I really want them, I'm drafting them no matter what. I mean, uh, I, I guess there's different philosophies on that. If, if you're looking for more of that like team cohesion and you want a guy who wants to be there, then 
Sure, I guess you could do that method, but when you've got your pick of the litter here and you can pick whoever you want, I would pick the top guy no matter what. Right. That's just me. But And, you know, not to say I don't like Marvin Bagley's skill set. I think, yes, offensively and from a rebounding perspective, uh, he's got quite a high upside. Um, you know, he's, uh, as you mentioned, a terrific athlete, one of the best athletes in this draft. At about 6'10 and a half, he moves like a wing. Exactly. You know? And uh, he runs the floor well. I could see him being a great, like if, if the Kings ever develop enough spacing on the floor, he could be a great lob threat in the pick and roll. Uh, he could also develop kind of a, I see him almost developing a Chris Bosh kind of face-up game. Mm. He's left-handed just like Bosh. Yeah. Where if he can develop that jumper, which he's shown signs that he's got some decent touch on that jumper, he certainly needs to improve it. But if he can ever get to a point where he can hit a consistent mid-range shot, then the defense kind of comes and plays up on him, and that's how Bosch beat his guy off the dribble with the threat of that jump shot. Uh, so, you know, he could develop that sort of a level of offensive game with the rebounding. And defensively, you know, I, I don't see him as much of a shot blocker at any point. Yeah. Uh, but maybe he, he, you know, he's athletic enough that hopefully, you know, the, the best case scenario would be he, he'd be a guy that could switch effectively. Right, which again, in this era, you definitely need that if you're going to be competing against the top teams. So, but you know, a, a guy like that that at you know, if you play him at power forward, um, you need you definitely need a center that can not only protect the rim but probably can space the floor for him as well, which those guys are tough to find. Right, and then if you play him at center, you got to worry. Okay, do we have enough defense uh, with him yeah. at the five? Uh, and and then the other concern if he if you know, he's not good enough defensively to play the five, and he's forced to play the four, then does his athleticism translate as well facing up against NBA power forwards? Because those guys are quicker. Right. Uh, so he may not be able to beat those guys off the bounce like he would centers. Yeah, really good point there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for Bagley, for me, it's, you know, the ceiling would be maybe not quite as good defensively uh, like a Chris Bosh. Um, maybe a better rebounding Chris Bosh, but not not as effective sure. on the defensive end. Uh, worst case scenario, you know, like a Michael Beasley, a guy yeah. that in college also put up big time numbers, both scoring and rebounding. But you know that offense didn't necessarily translate to a high level in the NBA, uh, and the defense is you know a major issue for a guy like him. So definitely some question marks. And again, considering some of the guys that were left on the board that we're going to get to. Uh, I really do question that decision. So with the three pick in the draft, uh, the Atlanta Hawks had that pick, but they traded actually with the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks moving up from five to three and also giving a protected first round pick to the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, And then they ended up selecting Luka Doncic, who was my number one guy on my board. What do you think of uh, the European teenage sensation? Really impressive. Not going to (laughs) lie. Um, 6'8", can shoot, really, really, really good passer. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with some of the highlights we're watching here, he's making uh, a LeBron-esque cross-court, like, one-handed zip pass over top of the defense, which is just a pass that most people skill-wise can't do or size-wise aren't able to do to throw it over top of everyone like that. Um, Playmaker, and, you know, as we're looking at here, EuroLeague MVP, at what, 19 years old, the yes. youngest ever to do that. Um, Garrett, you were pointing out earlier that the competition in the Euro League um, is arguably, and we both agree, better 
than D1 basketball. Right, because you've got NBA-level talent from guys that uh, that were born in Europe that just either don't want to move to the United States for whatever reason, so you've got those level of players that could be NBA, that are NBA talents, right. and then you've got guys that played in Division One that aren't quite good enough for the NBA, then they go to EuroLeague, and again, they continue to develop and mature and, and grow as players, so certainly a, a much more skilled and, and good basketball product. Um, maybe not quite as great athletically, whereas in Division One, it, you know, the um, the skill sets might not be as high, but of course, in Division One in the United States, there are a ton of great athletes. There are. Um, so that would be the, the, the biggest concern with Doncic is, you know, he's not a great athlete. He, you know, won MVP in a league where maybe the athleticism isn't anywhere near compared to what you get in the NBA. Sure. Um, but... But one of the things I really like about his ability to potentially succeed despite that athleticism is, as you mentioned, the passing. So if the defense, you know, comes in a little bit too much on him, he can make those cross-court passes. That 6'8 size really helps him be able to see over the defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then also the fact that he's got a step-back jumper. Uh, You see he's got kind of those James Harden-esque going back to his left to hit those fadeaways. Um, and, And in the NBA... You're most of the time like yes, I understand like against the Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets, uh, they switch everything and don't really have any defensive liabilities. Right. But against the majority of NBA teams, there's going to be guys that you can attack, whether that's a slow center or a slow-footed wing. Right. Um, so if the defense switches, he's going to be able to attack some of those slower-footed guys. And he also showed a pretty polished post game. If and so he could get even a switch onto a smaller guard. Very true. Yeah, at six eight, um, he's and he's going to have those opportunities. I would say in the NBA, um, the one uh, I guess downside with him that you know we're talking athleticism wise that a smaller, quicker guard, if they are guarding him, uh, sometimes in the Euroleague is giving him some problems with being able to get past them and everything. Uh, but yeah, if he gets them on the post, though, I think it's going to be a problem for right. whoever's going to guard him there. Well, and uh, I think. Another thing, just in terms of the fit, of course, Dallas, uh, they drafted uh, Dennis Smith Jr. in last year's draft. He was probably the most athletic point guard in last year's class. Uh, So I think those two combined are going to be pretty good, and it'll give Doncic opportunities to play off the ball a little bit, and uh, that'll give him chances to attack a defense that has already been, you know, bent and uh, are rotating out to him, which, uh, you know, I think he'll would alleviate some of those problems in terms of his ability to beat quicker guys off the dribble. Definitely. Uh, You know, the the concern, of course, though, uh, given those athletic uh, problems that we've mentioned, is the defense. Um, You know, he's uh, he's not going to project to probably be much of an above-average defender at all, but I think if he can get to an average with, you know, instincts and those sorts of things. You mentioned when you were watching him, you, you noticed some Larry Bird. Uh, in his defense. A little bit, yeah. Larry Bird is, you know, obviously wasn't a uh, a bad athlete, especially in the early years, but uh, as a team defender, he's able to get in the passing lanes. As we were watching this, you know, the the, the guy analyzing it, who was the... Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt, uh, you know, points out that the basketball IQ on this guy is, you know, extremely high, especially compared to the other people in this draft. So I would assume that he's going to be able to you know, maybe not one-on-one, he's not going to shut anyone down really, but I, I'm i not sure how much of a weakness he's going to be out there on defense. And the plus sides on offense, 
I think are going to outweigh those negatives. Right. Now, you know, with his size at 6'8", you know, those... Those kinds of players, I feel like, are the easiest to hide on defense because you can find the weakest, you know, wing player on the opposing team and put him on there. Right. Or, you know, if if they've got a big man that doesn't have necessarily great post-up skills, you could probably throw him on on those guys as well. Exactly. Whereas, you know, with a, a point guard that maybe has those defensive deficiencies, a little harder to hide. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, you know, looking at his... Uh, at his floor versus his ceiling, you know, I think this guy's going to be a positive player immediately. Sure. I think he can make players better. I think he's going to be able to score. Uh, and, again, uh, he's got multiple facets to his game. He's got a floater game he can get to. You know, if teams guard him at, in a traditional pick and roll uh, and, you know, don't switch, I think he's going to be able to pick it apart because oh, sure. he's got all the passes that he, you can yeah. make. He can he can get by guys and and use his body to get into that mid range. He's got a good mid range pull up, yep. and he's got that floater as well. Yeah, uh, and he can throw those lobs. So he's got every tool of the trade right. to be able to handle a team just running a traditional pick and roll defense. Yeah, I agree. Really good shooter too. Dude's got range. Um, I think maybe the only other thing he's he's a pretty good rebounder too in this yes. the highlight package. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at. He competes so. well on the glass, both offensively and defensively, and and that ignites his transition game, which you know helps show off the, those uh, tremendous passing skills. Right. With the fourth pick in the NBA draft, the Memphis Grizzlies went after Jaron Jackson Jr., a uh, forward slash center from Michigan State, and uh, he's a guy that uh, has an incredible wingspan at about seven four and a half. A really good shot blocker, averaged around five blocks a game uh, per 40 minutes uh, as a college freshman. Also the youngest guy in this draft. What are your thoughts on uh, on Jaron Jackson Jr.? Yeah, I mean, like you said, youngest guy, it, that's, that's always tough for me because, you know, maturity-wise, I'm sure it's got to be tough to be that young for all these guys going into the NBA. But uh, the other side of that coin is a lot more potential. You get to mold that player in however you see fit right um and i really like centers that can protect the basket i Mm -hmm. I just really like rim protectors um so anyone blocking shots like that i think is going to be a force out there and if he can stay in front of you know some of these quicker guards or at least you know be okay in the pick and roll i think he can be uh make an impact on whatever team he's on well and that's you know guys like al horford and draymond green not only are they great at individual defensive skills, but I think a big part of their value is the versatility. Sure. That at times when it, when their team needs it, they can protect the rim. At times they can switch out and guard on the perimeter. At other times they can, you know, show great help awareness and cut off a drive and and stop a play from happening. And having that basketball IQ, uh, you know, this guy's versatility is really exciting, and a guy that I think. You know, even if the offensive stuff doesn't work, which we'll get to in a minute, I think as a defensive player, he's going to have some pretty good value. Definitely. And he's going to be paired with uh, Marcus Saul, who, uh, you know, has has been a great NBA defender, has that basketball IQ, so a guy that he can learn from that I think is a good good mentor for him. Uh, But looking more now on the offensive end for this guy, now his his shot is a little bit unorthodox. He Mm -hmm. shoots it kind of in front of his face. How do you feel like that will translate potentially to the NBA three-point line? It's it's always hard to tell with college because the 
the three point line is so much closer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a little different, but it's it's not a bad shot. He is able to make it, you know, um, and it's it's kind of a smooth shot. There's some other people in this where um, maybe it's a more traditional looking shot, but it's a little wonky and there's some hitches in it. His is at least a somewhat quick release. I think he might be able to develop that into a three point shot to stretch the floor a little bit. I don't think he's going to be an elite three-point shooter, but um, I think there's enough that you could work with there on the offensive end. Right, and you know he shot 80% from the free-throw line, which is another good indicator that uh, he's going to become a decent... He has the potential to become a decent three-point shooter. Uh, and yes, the, the release is quick and smooth, as you stated. Uh, it seems like it has some solid arc on it as well. Yeah. So yeah, I would also suggest that I think he can, he can become a pretty good three-point shooter. My biggest question mark with him is beyond that, I don't know if there's a lot to work with offensively. Right. There's a lot of question marks about you know his his passing ability, his ball handling, his post game. He's pretty raw again. He's 18, so you know he could theoretically develop those skills. But beyond the jump shot, there's not a lot there offensively. There really isn't. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, again, I really value the the defensive impact there, um, but. Yeah, for him to be effective, he's going to have to, as you know, we watch a really bad turnover there with his passing game, he's going to have to develop into a better passer uh, to be able to make that offensive impact. Especially, you know, if he's going to, his offensive role is going to be as a, a spacer, you know, out on the perimeter, he's going to have to be able to pass the basketball, whether that's swinging it on a, you know, when the defense is rotating and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but. But yeah, I think one of the things with him is in, in, in terms of his floor, I think he's got a really high floor, especially as a defensive player. I think even as an 18-year-old, he's going to come in and be a productive defensive player straight away. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, you know, he certainly is a guy that I think is a is a solid fit at four. Now, there are probably guys after him that, uh, you know, maybe have a little bit more potential and a high ceiling. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of that? Do you... Uh, at the top of an NBA draft, would you be looking more for, okay, I want to find a superstar here, or am I comfortable with a guy that I know is going to be a solid starter? Uh, I think it depends on the draft and where where my team's at, you know. Uh, I think more times than not, I would want to get that superstar. Mm-hmm. But if it's a draft like this where, like we're saying, there's a lot of holes in people's games, it might be a better idea to just go with, the solid player that's going to fit uh, a na- uh, niche, 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 yeah. <laughs> niche. <laughs> I've heard it pronounced several different ways. Yeah, there you go. Uh, within your team, right? If you really need rebounding or you really need a rim protector, then this would be the draft to get it. Yes. Um, what about you? What, how would you? Do you want to go for the superstar every time, no matter what? Um. Yeah, I would say when I'm. Like, uh, you know, top five, I would probably be leaning more towards let's find that superstar talent. Okay. Uh, But, you know, Memphis has maybe a different game plan or strategy in terms of what they're trying to do. They still have Gasol and Mike Conley, so they still think we should be trying to win right now. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think they should be looking to rebuild, and the best way to, to rebuild is to find a superstar. Um, but given their goals, I, I understand why they made this pick. I think he's sure. going to be able to slide in and hopefully be productive uh, pretty early on. But again, still super young with uh, some room to develop. Yeah. So with the fifth pick in the draft, it was uh, the Atlanta Hawks taking 
Trey Young, and uh, of course Atlanta started at number three, but then traded with Dallas, who was at number five, so they swapped those picks, Dallas then giving Atlanta a future number one, and then Atlanta taking Trey Young, and of course Young, uh, there's there's one player in the NBA that a lot of people compare him to, and who is that, Anthony? Uh, Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you feel like the comparison is legit? It's interesting. Uh, I think, you know... When we think of Steph Curry, we're thinking of him now. Greatest shooter of all time. uh, Gone to the finals uh, numerous times. Won numerous championships. MVP. uh, But I think people forget in college when he was at Davidson, um, he led his team on an impressive, you know, March Madness run. But there were a lot of question marks in how would his game translate to the NBA. And he had to develop a lot as a player to become the Steph Curry we know. In college, he was a a kid with uh, a really, really good shot. He could pass. And that's what we're seeing with Trey Young. Mm -hmm. Um, And just watched a step back there that, you know, we were talking about is uh, Damian Lillard-esque. Yes. You know, one of the most difficult types of step backs to the right, uh, creating space there. For a right-handed shooter, yeah. Yeah, that is just a tough shot. Um, You know, what, 27 points per game Mm -hmm. in the NCAA, so led the... Nearly nine assists. Yeah, so led the NCAA in in assists and points. That is impressive. So uh, what are your thoughts on that comparison, though, and just him overall? Well, I I do think that I see the offensive upside. You know, you you talk about, as you said, Steph Curry really more of a spot-up shooter and a guy that could run off screens a la like a J.J. Redick or a Kyle Korver at the college level. Right. But then develop the ball handling and the -the off-the-dribble shooting. Trey Young's off-the-dribble shooting is already at a much higher level than Steph Curry's was at that same age. So, of course, you, you look at that and say, oh, this is, you know... You start to salivate thinking about what he can do offensively. Uh, In transition, the ability to pull up from 30 feet and the fear that inflicts on defenses. And, of course, you know, what what Steph Curry does is coming off of those ball screens, forcing defenses essentially to double-team the ball, which opens up things for his teammates. And and Trey Young's passing ability, he's shown that he can make a lot of those same passes that Curry does. So, yeah, yeah, I I am all about uh, Trey Young in terms of that comparison, at least offensively, uh, with Steph Curry. The question mark with him, in my mind, is the defense. And, you know, he's he's a couple inches shorter than Steph. uh, His wingspan is is pretty average for his size as well. I think he's 6'1 and a half, essentially. Yeah. Uh, And showed real a lack of effort and a lack of ability defensively. You know, he's not strong. He's not... uh, He's not terribly quick either. You know, yeah, you you question whether he'll ever become a good defensive player. Uh, But if a guy is, you know, a number one option offensively in the NBA, that's incredibly valuable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and what's your thoughts in terms of, you know, there's, there's the whole question of, Draymond Green had a quote where uh, he was mentioning to Bob Myers, the Warriors GM, where there he said there are 82 game players and there are 16 game players. Hmm. And essentially what he meant by that was there are guys that can be great during the regular season, but then there's other guys that are made and built for the playoffs. Interesting. Um, Trey Young, to me, seems to be an 82 game player in hmm. terms of he's going to be attacked over and over defensively in the playoffs. And despite how good he is offensively, I think that weak point might just be too too tough to overcome. But at the same time, you know, if he's a guy that can can be the best player on a 50-win team, 
Right. You know, that's that's incredibly valuable. So who do you value there? Would you rather have a guy like a Draymond Green who you know in the playoffs is a great two or three option on your team? Mm. Or a guy that's capable in the regular season of being the number one guy? Because Draymond certainly isn't capable of that. Right. Um, but then might be exploited come postseason. That's so tough. You kind of need both. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, that's... Uh, when when we were talking about, like, the top, uh, you know, 25 current NBA players at the beginning of the season, where do you put it, Draymond Green? Like, that's so hard to, to say. Right. So valuable to the team. And, uh, obviously, on when you're in the playoffs, you need someone like that. But... Uh, without the scorer and the person who's going to, you know, run the show and maybe be the best person offensively, you're not even going to get to the, exactly. the playoffs or the finals. Yeah. So um, I, I hadn't heard that quote before from, oh, yeah. from Draymond, but that's that was really smart of him. Um, I, I think if you get enough good people around Young, um, then maybe they'll be able to cover for that weakness. Mm-hmm. But... Um, he might have a point with that, that the better teams are going to just exploit that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I think there there is something to, like, you have to get to the playoffs first and then figure it out from there. Right. And a lot of teams are just trying to get there. Right. Um, and Trey Young, to me, seems like a guy that I definitely could see as a, a huge contributor in getting you to that point. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, the... the, the uh, the idea that he's going to struggle come postseason is real. And, yeah. um, you know, I think if you can find another guy that has that same possible potential uh, but can be a two-way player, that's the guy I kind of go with. But at five, you know, maybe that guy wasn't there, although Atlanta chose to trade down from potentially drafting Doncic to take Trey Young. Um, although, you know, they did get an extra first-round pick for it. Right, yeah. The, the extra pick, I think, was the deciding factor there. But, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Because, like you said, uh, Doncic is your number one, who you would have gone for. Right. Um, but yeah, with the range and the passing ability and everything we've we've said, I think Trey Young's going to be uh, someone to watch, for sure. Number six in the draft, Mohamed Bamba for the Orlando Magic. Bamba with an NBA record 7-10 wingspan at the Combine. Uh, just an incredibly long player, uh, has got that rim protection potential to be a guy like a Rudy Gobert. So, Anthony, my thought is, or my question for you, I'm going to put you on the spot. Does he become a Rudy Gobert level rim protector, or is he, uh, is, is everyone overreacting just due to the, uh, the measurements of, uh, of Mobile? <laughs> put me on the spot. It's really tough to say. Uh, again, I, love uh, a center that can protect the rim and this guy's one of the best in this uh, this draft or you could probably argue is the best one in this draft um, I see the comparisons to Gobert uh, you told me that you know Gobert took some years to you know maybe develop into that uh, mm-hmm. player and everything uh, but I see the potential I really do at that size and his athleticism uh, he could very well be this, you know, freaky rim protector here who's just blocking shots left and right. What was it, five blocks a game? Yeah. Um, per 40 minutes, per yeah. Per 40 minutes and, and 14 and a half rebounds. Um, 
Yeah, it's impressive. What do you think? Do you think it's a little bit of a overreaction? I do. I um, okay. You know, I I think he could get there, but the lack of awareness at times on defense really does concern me. Okay. Uh, because again, shot blockers, uh, the great ones are a combination of, uh, you know, that length and that raw ability, but then the anticipation, the awareness, the reactions, the instincts, and uh, mm. too often you see like. You know, guys that have these highlight blocks where they're coming from the weak side and jumping and swatting it out of bounds. But those are often the plays that, um, you know, if a player were to pump fake (laughs) and he goes flying by and gives up a wide open layup, those sorts of things. I like the ones, you see this a lot with Rudy Gobert, where he's in perfect position and he doesn't even have to jump to block the shot. Yeah. You know, and... Too often times I see Bamba jumping to, to block those shots uh, or, you know, leaping from one side of the lane to the other to get the block. And in the NBA, guys are really good at, uh, you know, pivoting and shot faking and all those sorts of things. Right. You've got to be very disciplined as a shot blocker to not only just record blocks, to, but to actually make an impact defensively where guys then are just not taking shots in the paint. Because yeah. not only does Rudy Gobert block a lot of shots, he prevents a lot of shots, right? And that's one of the key differences. That is a really good point. Yeah, rim protection. It's not just about blocking the shots; it's about intimidating people and forcing them to miss shots or not take shots mm-hmm. that they normally would take. Good point. But the the other intriguing thing about Bamba, even you know, that is more intriguing than a Rudy Gobert coming out of the draft is the jump shot. Yeah. So Bamba has the potential to do what Gobert does offensively, where he rolls down and catches those lobs with that long, with those long arms. But he has shown a decent touch from the outside, and the idea of a Rudy Gobert that can shoot threes, you know, you understand yeah. the appeal for a lot of these teams. Definitely, yeah, I would, I would take that, like a <laughs> slightly less than Rudy Gobert, or, or yeah, Rudy Gobert, but can shoot the three. That mm-hmm. would be awesome. And so Orlando, you know, they've gone uh, in several of these drafts with a lot of these long players. Uh, they're they're trying to build a team that just kind of swarms you with length. Uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how all that works out. They, of course, need some, some guard play, and maybe they can get that in future drafts as well. But mm-hmm. Bamba, I see as one of the higher ceilings, but also maybe one of the lower floors. Uh, so kind of a, mm-hmm. a high-risk, high-reward uh, candidate there. With the seventh pick in the draft, the Chicago Bulls selected uh, the second Duke player to go in the draft to, up to that point uh, in Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Duke center? Uh, I think pretty good overall. You know, can shoot, good passer. Uh, I think he's going to be solid. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he uh, he definitely looks like he's got a pretty polished post game. Uh, and yeah, as you said. Good passer, good instincts. Uh, you know, if he sees a double team, he'll he'll make the quick read right away. Uh, can step out and knock down a jump shot. Really offensively has most of what you'd want out of a center. Uh, yeah. He's going to be able to, in a switch situation, if he gets a small guy on him, he's going to be able to beat them on the block. If you double, he's got the ability to pass it. And if you want somebody else to uh, run the offense for a play, he can spot up and space out, most likely in the corners, I think, at first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, really, really solid offensively. Um, and, you know, maybe, uh, I guess DeAndre Ayton for sure is the best offensive center in this draft. Sure. But this guy probably number two behind mm-hmm. 
Uh, but defensively is where I see some of the question marks. I think he could be pretty good as a rim protector and a verticality guy. Okay. So in a traditional pick and roll, you know, where the center kind of drops into the paint, I think he could do that job pretty well. Sure. Uh, but in terms of being able to switch out, if he ever gets in that sort of a situation, might be a struggle for him. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the, the idea, though, that uh, at the seventh pick, you're getting to the point where you're hoping to find some of these guys that maybe aren't going to be superstars but are going to be solid players, and I think he certainly has the, the uh, potential to be that. Right. Yeah, you're, you're hoping the overall game is going to, you know, uh, overlook maybe some of those little weaknesses that we're talking about here. Um, like I said, I, I keep saying it solid, but uh, that's what I'm seeing when I'm watching him here. And, of course, he was he was paired up with Marvin, who, Bagley, Marvin Bagley. The number two pick by Sacramento. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think a solid player, good size. Yeah. Well, and uh, it's interesting in terms of the Bulls, of course. They, they've had the last number two seventh overall picks. Hmm. They took Lowry Markinen last year, who is a seven-footer that is a really good uh, floor spacer, can shoot the three at a really high clip. Uh, and so offensively, I think their front court is going to be really dynamic and versatile. Yeah. Uh, both of those guys, uh, you know, uh, having both your four and five being able to shoot the three, uh, having at least one of them be able to post up, and both of them okay passers as well, uh, both of them with a little bit of an off-the-bounce game. I think that's good, uh, bodes well for the Bulls' offense, but defense is going to be a big question mark with those two guys because yeah. – uh, again, I think uh, Wendell Carter's rim protection is good defensively, but uh, you know the the other parts of it, I don't think either of those guys are going to be able to switch. And against some of the best offensive teams in the league, they oftentimes force you to do that, and right. it's going to be a struggle. With the number eight overall pick that the Cavs got from the Brooklyn Nets in the Kyrie Irving trade, uh, the Cavaliers selected Colin Sexton, point guard from Alabama. And uh, first thing first, uh, before we get into what you think of him as a player, uh, do you feel like this is a guy that would potentially convince LeBron James to stay with the Cleveland Cavaliers? No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I, I agree with that assessment in large part because I think, again, a lot of these rookies, uh, you know, as freshmen, as 19-year-olds, not necessarily going to be able to help right away. And although I see the potential of this guy, sure. I don't necessarily think that the track record of NBA point guards as rookies is not great in terms of them being productive in year one. Right. And LeBron's looking for something right away. You need a, a backup for George Hill. And uh, yeah, I, I have no doubt that Sexton's going to be able to develop into a, a solid point guard. Uh, for the Cavs, but in that first year, I'm not sure it's going to be the impact they're looking for. So, you know, if we can just ignore the LeBron sure. question mark about this, then what are what are just your general thoughts about him as a player, and and uh, what do you think his his upside is uh, uh, in the NBA, where the point guard is the the most competitive and talented <laughs> position in the league? It is. Uh, he's he's a very good athlete, and I think there are potentially a lot of upsides uh the thing with me at the point guard spot you're you're kind of the the quarterback of the offense there and as you said this is like the most competitive era for point guards he's not very polished at the position like his his ball handling at times looks a little out of control um you know especially going to his left 
he he is a good passer, but there there are just enough things that make me question uh, how soon he's going to make a big impact in the NBA. I think once he shores those things up as a professional, he could do uh, you know uh, he could do a solid job out there because of the athleticism. Because I mean that's just that's something that's hard to teach, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Just it's genetics right there. Um, but I, I don't want to you know sell this guy short though. You know he's one of the top ten picks. I think it's a good pick for the Cavs. What do you think? Yeah, I mean the uh, the question mark about yeah just his uh, his general fl- uh, floor game. Uh, you know he he does seem to be a score first mentality, right. which you know that's been very successful with a lot of guys. You talk about uh, you know a Russell Westbrook, a Kyrie Irving. You know going back to Gilbert Arenas. You know there's been a lot of point guards in the league that came in score first. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe developed that passing as sure. their career went on. I certainly think that's something that he's going to have to do. Uh, and then, you know, the, the ball handling uh, and just knowing when to attack, when to, you know, facilitate those sorts of decisions. Right. Uh, but, again, I think those are things you can gain with experience. Sure. And he's got, you know, he's a decent athlete. He seems to have, he's got like a, about a six eight wingspan for a point guard, which is pretty good, despite being only about 6'2 in yeah. height. Uh, but, uh, you know, he to me seems like a guy that could, uh, you know, in a few years become one of those rare point guards that is a good two-way player, which is right. extremely valuable. Yeah, and that's something I didn't say before. Yeah, on defense, I, I see him being able to, to make an impact there. Uh, and again, we need that. In a, in a league where there's so many really good point guards out there, you need to be able to slow them down a little bit. So yeah, as a, a solid two-way point guard I could see him being that for the Cavs the the other thing offensively that I that I like in terms of his scoring is the pull-up jump shot especially Mm -hmm. from the mid-range yeah Uh, other than of course Trey Young who is clearly the best at this like his pull-up shot as a point guard pretty solid now the extending it out near the three-point line not so much right but he seems pretty confident it seems like a pretty fluid um you know motion getting Mm -hmm. into that full pull-up in the pick and roll yeah uh I think Again, that's another one of those things that you can and and most of these guys do develop once they get to the NBA. They've got shooting coaches there. You know, I I have no doubt in a few years he'll be able to uh, develop that. So one of the things you know, speaking of going to the Cavaliers, that's interesting is he reminds me of LeBron James in this manner. I don't want to suggest he reminds me of him (laughs) as a basketball player in general, but. Uh, he shoots with his right hand, but often seems like he likes to drive with his left, and that yeah. could be similar to what LeBron is—that he's a little bit ambidextrous as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's going to have to improve and make it a little bit more consistent that he can go right, because it seems like defenses oftentimes play him to go left because he's pretty predictable with that. Uh, yeah. But the ability to finish with both hands is an extremely valuable guy that's hoping to uh, attack the teeth of the defense as yeah. a point guard. We'll see if it's enough to make LeBron stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do think that, uh, you know, be given the Cavs, uh, you know, situation at point guard, that he will find time, even if LeBron does stay at that backup spot. Yeah. Uh, because their only other option is, you know, Jose Calderon. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, even if he struggles, if he's only playing 10 minutes a game, it isn't going to hurt the team that much. Right. Uh, over the long haul, and hopefully over the course of the year, he'll get better and better through that experience. Uh, but uh, certainly a guy that, uh, you know, I, I know Cavs fans are, are upset about the Kyrie Irving trade, uh, but this was the the best part of that trade, 
getting a top 10 pick in a, what seems like a pretty good draft from what we've seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, if this guy turns into a guy that is in the organization for the next decade and is a solid starting point guard, uh, you know, yeah, that's not Kyrie. Kyrie was better than that. But uh, it, it's something that, uh, you know, for a guy that already wanted out, uh, it, it's a pretty good return. With the ninth pick in the NBA draft, the New York Knicks selected Kentucky's Kevin Knox. Now, Knox, another one of the youngest guys in this draft, along with Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, pretty raw, but uh, shows potential as a three-point shooter. A guy that at six nine is like a you know a decent athlete as well. What were your thoughts of uh, of the Knicks selection? I, I like him. I, I like what I I saw with uh, some of the highlights here. You know. Um, at that uh, small forward position, you know, he looks like he's pretty athletic, like you said, pretty raw, can shoot. Um, yeah, I think he's got a good upside. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's another one of these that I, I think of as a real high-risk, high-reward type player because of how many things he needs to get a lot better at sure. to improve. You know, I, I think his ball handling is questionable. Sure. Um, you know, he... He's capable of hitting threes, and his form looks good, but he only shot 34% uh, from the college three. Uh, so certainly, you know, it's not a guarantee that he's going right. to become a good shooter. Right, right. Um, although, you know, if he becomes the player that a lot the Knicks hope he will, you know, that I think him becoming, you know, a high 30s, 40% three-point shooter would be a part of that. Um, but, you know, the, the idea defensively as well that I'm not sure, you know, he's one of those tweeners that you question, oh, is he quick enough to guard Gonna threes, be. and is he big enough and strong enough to guard fours. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a lot of question marks. There's a question mark about his passing as well and his just general awareness and basketball IQ. Yeah. Generally, if there's, a, if there's a prospect with about seven or eight things, I'm like, oh, he's got a long way to go. <laughs> that that th- throws up a red flag for me. Yeah. But I see it. I see the potential, you know, at that size with the ability to knock down the three and the athleticism. Of course, you got to understand uh, that there could be a really good player in there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but the Knicks, you know, they've got to nail these picks, you know, especially in the event that, uh, you know, in these next couple of years, they're going to have to convince Kristaps Porzingis that they've got a, a foundation that he can win with. And this pick is going to be a huge part of that. It'll be interesting to see uh, if it works out for him. But it's certainly a, certainly a risky pick at that. It is, but get, you know, and getting to this point in the draft, though, most of the picks start to become pretty risky. Good point. <laughs> With the tenth pick in the draft, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers selected Mikhail Bridges, uh, the uh, redshirt junior from Villanova, who won two M- NCAA championships in his three years at Villanova, uh, and uh, you know, at 22 years of age, maybe one of the more NBA-ready players in this draft. Uh, I was really excited for Philadelphia to to take him. I thought he was a really good fit in terms of playing next to Ben Simmons. Just another guy that can, you know, played or as a role player in college and could just fit in right into the NBA in a similar role, just yeah. knocking down threes. He shot 91% from the free throw line Ooh. as a sophomore and 85% as a junior. So obviously has some really good touch. Shot 43% from three as a junior and hit over 100 threes for Villanova. 
Uh, so a guy that you could very easily see becoming a decent three-point shooter right away. Yeah. Uh, and then with a 7-2 wingspan, seems to be a guy that uh, could be pretty good defensively. Uh, you know, he, he lacks kind of the bulk and the strength maybe to be, you know, a lockdown defender. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the Sixers already have some of those guys uh, in the fold, so I thought he was going to be a perfect fit. But then the Sixers ended up trading him, uh, who, again, they drafted him 10th overall. They traded him to the Phoenix Suns for the 16th pick of the same of this same draft, and a guy named Zaire Smith, who uh, is uh, a six four and a half kind of shooting guard, can defend one two maybe threes as well with his wingspan. He's got about a six ten wingspan. Uh, elite athlete, better athlete than Bridges. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, you know the shot certainly a lot more of a question mark. Uh, and Smith also several years younger, a lot more raw, a lot more to develop than probably Bridges. Uh, but then, of course, Philly trading back from 10 to 16 gets some additional compensation. They got an unprotected 2021 draft pick that Phoenix owned uh, that uh, was originally Miami's pick. Uh, so, you know, that's potential further ammunition down the road that Philadelphia could use in, in future trades. Uh talk about you know trying to trade for Kawhi Leonard or something of that nature but uh what are your thoughts in general about uh, that sort of swap and uh you know moving down from 10 to 16 and and getting an additional first round pick just on the surface seems like a pretty good deal I think I think it does uh getting that extra pick I mean as we've seen with the process you know it's largely worked out for him Mm -hmm. um so uh yeah I I I get the trade. There, there are some things I do like about you know uh, Bridges' game here, uh, like his athleticism. There's this one dunk that he has on like three people that's just like insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his shot, even though it is kind of you know unorthodox, it's a little bit to the left of his head, uh, but it is it's fast, it's smooth. I like it even when he's pulling up. It, it's a smooth enough shot that, like you were saying, as a role player, I think he could fit in. At different places, right? So, um, yeah, not quite as uh, athletic as Smith. We'll see how he develops, you know, over there. But yeah, I, I like what I what I see with him. Well, the you know the interesting thing to me, and I agree, just in terms of the moving six picks back, especially from ten. You know, if it's moving from picks one to seven, you know, then it's like, oh, you know, you better get multiple first round picks or something like that. But uh, for moving from ten to sixteen, which again at the tenth spot. Uh, you know, you're not necessarily guaranteed a great player, uh, generally, in most drafts. Yeah. Uh, so from going to 10 to 16th, getting a future first, that makes a lot of sense. The The question, though, and again, you know, I think people overreact to just in terms of the mere assets each team acquired, but a lot of this trade will just come down to, is Zaire Smith near Mikael Bridges in terms of a prospect? Right. If Zaire Smith ends up being better than Bridges, then it's a <laughs> it's a total win right. for Philadelphia. But if Mikael Bridges ends up being the vastly superior player, you know you got to start to question Philadelphia, especially a team that already has won fifty games, is already right. on the you know you mentioned the process, but the process has already gotten to a certain right. point where they're a winning basketball team, and Bridges seemed to me like a guy that could help them right now and right. into the future, and is less of a question mark. <laughs> Yeah, at a certain point, you're, you know, the process is building for the future. Once you already have that foundation set, you should be like, okay, now it's time to start winning now. Mm-hmm. 
you know, before that window closes and you have to restart the process again. Right. So, uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Well, and, and I also think in terms of, uh, when you're drafting, I think if, if the cupboard is pretty bare in terms of your roster, you should always draft for upside. You should think, okay, regardless of fit, even if we took a center in last year's draft, if we think a center is far and away the best prospect and the guy that has the best chance of being a star player, you take him, regardless of fit. Hmm. But at a certain point, I think you've got to you know, not completely get rid of the idea of trying to find potential and, and focus on upside, but fit has to become more of a focal point once you've already drafted those stars like Philly has with Ben Simmons and Embiid. Right. You've got to at some point start to say, okay, what are the guys that we think are going to play the best with the guys that we already have on our roster? Yeah. And and that's the thing that scares me from a Philly perspective is that Bridges seemed perfect. And, uh, you know, this Smith has some question marks that, and, you know, maybe he never will develop that shot. And if he can't shoot, you question the fit with a Ben Simmons. <laughs> yeah, you need some shooters around Ben Simmons for and, sure. And Embiid too, because, you know, yeah. Embiid is capable of stepping out, but he's not a great three-point shooter. But he also likes to post up. And if teams double, you need that spacing around him. And if you already have Ben Simmons on the floor, uh, you know, as soon as you put three below average shooters... <laughs> On the court, your yeah. spacing is suboptimal, to say the least. Yeah. So with the uh, 11th pick of the draft, the Los Angeles Clippers uh, selected Shy Gilgis Alexander, point guard out of Kentucky. And uh, he's a guy that uh, has uh, pretty good size for a point guard. at 6'6", with about a 6'11", wingspan. Uh, you know, similar uh, measurements to like a Sean Livingston or, as we mentioned, a Michael Jordan, <laughs> although right. nowhere near the, the player. Right, um, right. But uh, this guy seems to be, you know, a decent athlete. He seems to have um, some decent passing ability, some decent standstill shooting, uh, and, uh, you know, can finish effectively as well. Uh, but uh, what what did you think about uh, this prospect uh, for the Clippers? Yeah, uh, like you were saying with the finishing, he's got some interesting... Uh, floaters and you know this little scoop shot that he likes to do from on the left side of the floor with his right hand that he seems to be pretty effective with uh but you know just finishing with contact seems to be a weakness for him um and you know at 6-6 if you're a point guard one of the things I feel like you should be able to do is attack the rim and you know I don't know punish the smaller guys on you and if you can't do that it's it's going to make it a little more questionable. Right, so. and that's where not only the lack of elite athleticism, but also the lack of strength right. probably hurts him, to. yes. Um, but, uh, you know, the the other interesting thing is, you know, you talk, we talked about Colin Sexton for the Cavs and how he had what seemed like a pretty natural pull-up shot. This guy seemed like it was, you know, you know uh, not very natural. It wasn't smooth, yeah. as, as we're watching right there. <laughs> Uh, what are your thoughts on that part of his game? And yeah. of course, in the NBA, teams might go under that pick and roll. You got to be able to, as a point guard, knock down that pull-up mid-range shot. You do. His his mechanics look pretty off. Like there's, uh, it's not very smooth. He almost looks flat-footed when he's he's pulling up. And uh, yeah, in in today's NBA, if you're if you can't make the defenses pay with the three-point shot, it's like well. 
what are you even doing out there? We've got so many other point guards in, in modern NBA who can do that. Um, yeah, that's it's that's a big glaring weakness there that I'm seeing. Well, and you know, Mike Schmidt, uh, the the guy for uh, Draft Express, which is where we're getting all these videos. If any of you're interested in watching him, he does a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, he talked about that. It it seems as if his upper and lower body, there's a disconnect there on those pull up shots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but as a standstill shooter, right. uh, he looks pretty good. Um, yeah. And and that's where it's also interesting at this stage of the draft, at the you know the eleventh pick. Um, you're probably not hoping that he is the number one option, but as a number two option, I kind of like what he offers. Sure. Um, because, again, that pull-up game seems to be more against a set defense. That's the number one go-to play in the offense. But if he can catch it and either catch and shoot or then attack a closing defender, Which uh, he can I, do. I yeah. think he's uh, he's got a good potential to be a, a decent second creator. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. As the second option, I, I see that. Well, and at that size, I think he'll have some decent versatility mm-hmm. uh, defensively to guard multiple positions. So I think he could fit next to a lot of guys. But sure. certainly, I think the biggest requirement for a backcourt mate or a or a wing mate would be a number one option star player yeah. um, to be the main creator. But he definitely has, uh, you know, I think he can become a good uh, a good role player. Uh, but the biggest question mark, uh, you know, that I have to ask you on this is, as we're gonna we're gonna skip a couple of picks, um, but the uh, the fourteenth selection in this draft was uh, Michael Porter Jr., uh, forward out of Missouri, who of course has some injury issues, broke his back, uh, lost mm-hmm. a lot of appeared to be uh, the athleticism he had, but he was going to be the number one pick if he came out of the draft last year, but of course there was the one and done rule that forced him to go to college, mm-hmm. and then he hurt his back. Uh, but a guy with that kind of talent, he went 14 to Denver. Uh, is is this guy that the Clippers selected, and even some of the other guys that we've talked about previously, are those guys good enough to pass up on a potential stud in Michael Porter Jr.? I don't think so. And, and that's sometimes hard to say because we've seen a lot of busts happen with with people who have had big injuries, you know, and it, and it's terrible whenever that happens. But um, I think, man, the the upsides with Porter when he was healthy, um, I mean, yeah, definitely first first pick. Um, I think even now I would have taken him higher than what did you say, fourteenth? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I definitely would have uh, picked him higher. Yeah, um, and for Denver, it's interesting because they've got. A nice young core in Nikola Jokic and Gary Harris and Jamal Murray that uh, are all uh, really good young players, and but they kind of felt like a team that you know, despite the fact that all of them are about twenty three and under, they've got a bright future as a franchise. They felt like there was a ceiling to it in terms of they were probably a, yeah. a second round playoff team sort of team for the, the foreseeable future. But getting a guy like Porter, a potential number one pick talent, yeah. at 14 to add to that core could put them in a different trajectory and give them a chance if if he gets healthy and if he gets back to the level of athlete he was in high school yeah. uh, that uh, could change their franchise forever. Yeah, I, I would have taken a chance on, on him, to be honest, if, if I had control there on who to 
because I mean, there's just there's so many upsides in this in his game as a scorer. I mean, um, I forget what it was that they were looking at his scoring average for some of these camps, and you know, uh, thirty five points a game, thirty five points per game, yeah. uh, really good range. Uh, you know, attack in the basket, passing. I mean, you know, I, I definitely think he's worth the pick. What do you think? Yeah, I I agree. Um, there was a really interesting uh, on cleaning the glass. Ben Falk wrote an article about um, players being red flagged, and that was one of the terms that he uh, he learned about when he became an assistant general manager, uh, where teams will look at a player and see that there's a risk with injury, and they will essentially eliminate them from their draft board completely. Wow. So they will not draft them under any circumstances. And he viewed that as just a flaw in in drafting because, you know, as, as we were mentioning with like even the 10th pick, uh, mm-hmm. and he mentioned in the article, the 10th through 12th picks historically have about a 10% chance of becoming like a starting caliber player. You're just as easily to find a guy that will be out of the league in three or four years. Right. Um, so, at some point, uh, even if you've got a huge question mark and you think this guy's a huge risk for injury, at some point, that you know the, the potential of his ability, if he is healthy, has got to outweigh the risk. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree. That's an interesting choice, almost like league-wide, mm-hmm. there to red flag a, a player. Uh, this is a sport. People do get injured, you know. Right. Um, I understand that their busts do happen, but like when we look at like a Greg Oden, who was what the number one pick, or he was in the top three. Uh, yeah, he was number one in front of Kevin Durant. In, in front of Kevin Durant. I mean, those are the busts that we're talking about, where like people spend their top pick on that. Mm-hmm. Where when we're falling down to around the tenth pick, and you get like, well, it's it's worth the risk because what you're probably going to get with another player, as you already said, um, is you know maybe a good role player if that right well and yeah that that whole like yeah you mentioning the greg odin kevin durant example is you know you're taking a risk on a guy with potential injury issues uh at one when there's another superstar potential guy there with durant whereas at 14 or even anywhere after probably mo bamba at six yeah he was probably the last really high ceiling guy prior to porter being taken right so you've got picks seven eight nine ten eleven twelve and thirteen yeah uh that's a lot of picks for guys that you know are probably solid starters at best sure and um you know whereas porter again has that superstar uh, potential and to win a championship you, I mean, historically, go down the list, all of these teams have had superstars. So at some point, you're going to have to pick them up, and they're really rare. So when you've got a chance to get one, I think you got to make that choice and, and pick them. And, you know, the other interesting thing about the Denver situation, given they're already a pretty good team, they can be patient with Porter, yeah. like the Sixers were with Joel Embiid, different circumstances. The Sixers just wanted to be bad, so they were able to be patient with right. Embiid. Uh, and gave Embiid two years to rest and and get healthy, and that has obviously worked out great for them. Uh, and Denver, given that they're you know they were one game away from making the playoffs last year, they may be a playoff team for the next couple of years, even if Porter doesn't contribute for them. 
So they're in a perfect scenario where we can be good and let this guy maybe take as much time and give ourselves as much of a chance to get what we can out of this youngster. Well, that's uh, that's basically all we have for uh, for this draft. But uh, when you when you look at uh, some of these some of these teams, Anthony, is there any particular team or player that you're you're really happy about in terms of the value that that team got? Um, I'm looking at. Uh, hmm. I'm interested to see how uh, Bamba turns out, just with that athleticism and everything, to see if if he could be another Rudy Gobert, that would be awesome to watch because I love defense with centers. Uh, Doncic uh, with Dallas, yeah. With Dallas, I think, is going to be really exciting. Um, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, uh, despite the fact that Dallas gave up, you know, essentially used two first-round picks on Doncic, I love the value for them. Uh, given that they started the draft at the number five spot to get who I thought was the best player in the draft is, you know, is a win for them. And... You know they're a team that I think, uh, you know they protected that that future draft pick that they traded to Atlanta one through five for the next couple of years. Wow. So they're hoping it just they they surrender maybe a a pick between six and fifteen next year, which would hurt some. But you know you're you're again not likely to get a superstar out of that sort of a pick. Right. Um. So you know Dallas. Uh. I, I think Dallas definitely a winner. Um. I uh, I also, you know, despite Phoenix giving up an extra first-round pick to move up and get that Mikhail Bridges at 10, I like the Aiton-Bridges combo that they pulled off in this draft. Um, I, I think uh, Bridges is a guy that, for a losing team, is going to be able to come in off of the winning culture of winning in Villanova, mm-hmm. a guy that can help, I think, right away. Uh, plus, I think Aiton is going to be pretty good right away. Uh, I think those two guys injecting that into the youth that the Suns have with a Devin Booker, who's right. a rising star, especially offensively. Yeah, uh, you know, you gotta like the kind of uh, you know the things they got going, and really they they have one major hole still at point guard. Right. But uh, at least now you can say, you know, that's our next mission. Maybe next draft we get our point guard, or in free agency we get our point guard. Exactly. But yeah. to fill potentially your center and small forward position. For the next decade, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> I would say so too. Yeah. Um, now, how about uh, in terms of what do you think in terms of teams that maybe didn't do so well hmm. uh, and maybe you know hurt themselves for the future with this draft? I've got one in mind right sure, away. Sure, go for it. Uh, the Kings with uh, Marvin Bagley, I think uh, yeah. you know passing on Doncic, uh, and I even think uh, I think guys like uh, Jaron Jackson. And Mo Bamba have very much the potential to become better, at least in terms of, um, than you know, winning and bringing Bagley. you know than Bagley. I think Bagley might be just a real good stats, not really that much of a contributor to wins, uh, sort yeah. of player. Um, so I think they're definitely a loser in this draft. Uh, and I think the Clippers, you know, they had two picks in the lottery at twelve and thirteen. They get the Shea Gilgis Alexander. They also take a shooting guard that I don't think had much upside. Twice passing on Michael Porter Jr. when they're a team that needs a superstar, right. I think was also a, a pretty big mistake as well. I'd agree with that. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Duncan Dynasty. Alongside Anthony Brown, I am Garrett Bougay. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, next week, we're going to be bringing you a, a topic of uh, NBA dynasties and comparing. 
the Golden State Warriors to some of the the uh, the history of the NBA and some of the dynasties that we've seen in the past. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Otherwise, have a great day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.